Hey Rebel, welcome to Untoxify Your Relationship. Here we will talk about all things healthy and how to get that toxic mess out of you and your partnership. I'm your host, Melissa Webb, a practicing licensed mental health therapist with 10 years experience. I've been on a journey encouraging women to throw the middle finger up at society and to become a rebel, to go against the grain of who and what you are supposed to be and grow into what God has created you to be. And I do this by teaching them skills to cultivate stronger relationships through healthy theology and mental health practices. All right, let's go ahead and hop into it. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, welcome to Untoxify Your Relationship. This is episode four. And today we are going to be talking about attachment styles and how it affects your communication. A couple of years ago, I was dating someone and I didn't realize how anxious I was. <laughs> your girl was out here real anxious. We didn't, me and the guy, we didn't date that long, but I was so attached to him, like an unhealthy attachment. The whole thing was unhealthy. I thought about him all the time. I was definitely preoccupied and so I always wanted to be around him. Turns out he couldn't because he worked this job where, you know, he worked night shifts, he worked morning shifts, job always changed. I was like, I don't care. I need to be close to you. And I had this need to want to know where I stood in the relationships. Yeah, I was like three, four weeks in like, so we together or not? It's just like, yo, slow down, (laughs) slow down. Needless to say, we did not make it great that we didn't because I was tripping. But I remember this one night in particular. It was close to when we broke up and I don't even know who did it. He might have ghosted me. I don't know. But I remember distinctly, I couldn't get a hold of him. I freaked out. I live on the south side of St. Louis. Some streets you just don't walk around at night. And I was walking around at night on the south side because I was so anxious that I was like, I need to move. If I don't start moving, I'm gonna do something crazy. I was like hysterical, I was crying, I was laughing. I thought I needed to go to the hospital. I thought something was wrong with me. I called someone, one of my friends, either my sister-in-law or a friend, helped me to not walk off a ledge. And they was like, what is going on? I was like, I can't get in contact with this dude and I am tripping. I said, I've never done this before. What is wrong with me? And they had to literally talk me off a ledge. They had to talk me down. I think I took at least two or three laps around the block. They told me to take my ass home <laughs> before I get snatched up or shot up. I went home and I immediately found the therapist and been rocking with her ever since. Um, it was bad. It was real bad. Like when I got to therapy, I think I saw her every week because I think my copay was only $10. And I was like, it's bad. As a therapist, this is bad. And she was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> Again, shout out to my therapist who I've been rocking with since, I don't know, 2018, 2019. Anyway, told you that story because my communication with this guy was really jacked up. I know I was a little manipulative. I know I was unable to tell my true feelings of how I felt in a relationship because I got this fear that used to come up and I would just be like, oh, I can't really share my feelings. If I do, then they'll want to 
run away and I need this person in my life because they're the best thing since sliced bread. And I, you know, maybe I moved over here just because of him. Like I was making up all types of crap in my head. Shout out to therapy. <laughs> Cause I'm not like that no more. Anyway, what we're going to talk about today is that your attachment style will determine how you communicate with your partner. We can even add your attachment style is how you will behave and communicate with your partner. I was super anxious. I have an anxious attachment. Um, it was really bad. I feel like everything's on the spectrum. I was super far, I guess, right or left, whichever way the spectrum goes. Um, I am moving towards secure. <laughs> but I was like, as far as you can go on the attachment style of anxiousness, I was there. That was me. It was your girl. Today, we're going to learn the types of attachment style and the communication that goes with each of them and how to fix it. Because at the end of the day, don't be like me walking outside at like 10, 11 o'clock at night in a neighborhood where you should not be walking because you anxious. Okay. So before you didn't know your attachment style, you may know after this pod. And if you know after this pod, I'm going to challenge you to go ahead and talk to someone, either a professional or someone that you trust to help you through your attachment style and to get you to, uh, and to get you moving towards secure. Okay. So that's my goal for you is if you didn't know how your attachment style affected your communication afterwards, you know, and then you go get help for it. So Let's get into it. Most of the information today comes from the book called Attack by Dr. Amir Levine, who is an adult child and adolescent psychiatrist and neuroscientist, and Rachel Heller. She holds a master's degree in social organizational psychology from Columbia University. So there are three types of attachment. We have anxious attachment, and then we have secure attachment, and then we also have avoided attachment. And I like to think of these three attachments on a spectrum. So you have anxious attachment on your left, you have secure in the middle, and then you have avoidant on the right. And people move up and down this spectrum depending on what happens in your life. So you may start off as an anxious attachment. You'll go to therapy, you'll learn some tools and how to communicate effectively and you can move towards a secure attachment, especially if you get in a relationship with someone who's secure, then you'll move towards that secure attachment. If you're secure, you can move towards either way of anxious or avoided. And again, with the avoided, you can also move towards secure. These attachments are very, in therapy world, we call it plastic, which means that you can change and move up and down the scale. The pioneer of attachment theory is John Bowlby. He discovered attachment theory back in the 50s, I believe. Basically, he said that attachment theory comes from how you were raised from your caregiver or the people around your, your loved ones. And this has expanded with research. Your attachment can not only come from childhood, but it can also come from the relationships that you get in and also DNA. It's a number of things that determines what your attachment is going to be. Now, the first attachment we're going to talk about is anxious attachment. And I already talked about my story. I have some more stories probably to go through as I go through the anxious attachment. But 20% of the population has this. And this is when people are preoccupied with their relationship and tend to worry about their partner's ability to love them back. In childhood, this looked like 
inconsistent responses from caregivers or people that love them. And so that is mirrored in adult relationships. You get with people who are inconsistent and all you want is attention and love. You're like, that's all I want. That's really simple. But when you get in these adult relationships, it looks the exact same way as it did with loved ones. So something that anxious attachment people do is they have a very sensitive attachment system. So basically you are very vigilant. So when something is off, you know it. So you are sensitive to the signs of rejection. Just like in childhood, you were sensitive to the signs of rejection, whether it was a caregiver or someone that you loved, like a brother, sister, or something like that. You were very sensitive to that those changes of mood, changes of emotions, and things like that. So for me, I notice when someone's energy is off. This can be in any relationship. I'm like, something's off here. What's going on? In romantic relationships, I can definitely tell. There was a time when I was dating someone and I realized that something was off. And I said, hey, are you okay? Because I noticed X, Y, Z. And they were like, no, I'm fine. And I was like, Alright, cool. I let it go. Turns out by the end of the weekend, the person like blew up at me over like the smallest thing. And I said, you know what? I'm going to leave because right now you are displaying some things I don't like and I'm going to leave. And then later on that night, the person called me and was like, hey, I was thinking about some things that you did like a month ago and it made me mad. I was like, I knew something was wrong. Why didn't you just say something was wrong? And they was like, yeah, I know I should have said something. Thank God I was able to effectively communicate and not get flooded, which we're going to talk about in a second. If I would have got flooded, then I would have been doing the things I was doing in the beginning of this pod of like walking around in the middle of the night in the neighborhood that I should not be walking around in the middle of the night. When your senses are up, like when you notice something is off, then you get activated. So this is when you want to seek closeness. So uh, some things that you do when you want to seek closeness is, you know, you remember the good qualities or you remember the good times that this that you had with the person. And this is just to calm you down. Usually you get anxious and when you get that closeness, the anxiety goes away. Now, when the anxiety does not go away, then we start seeing protesting behaviors. And this is when you try to reestablish contact with the partner to get their attention. Just like in childhood, we wanted attention. So that can look like a lot of different things. When you're trying to get the attention of your caregiver, this looks the same way with your partner. You're just trying to get their attention. So you do things like excessively calling, texting, emailing, or even loitering at the job and just saying like, oh, I was just in the neighborhood. Just I just want to stop by just to make sure you're okay. This can also look like manipulation. It can look like making them feel jealous. It can also look like threatening to leave because then when they don't, you're like, who? Okay, they did love me. I just want to get their attention just to make sure like, you know, I'm here. Look at me. The person who has an anxious attachment has the need to have reassurance and to feel love. They have a need for closeness and intimacy and they need to know where the relationship is going. So like I said in the beginning, I was like, so what are we doing? Are, are we together? It was week two. <laughs> 
But I needed to know like what was going on in order for me to feel secure in the relationship. The fear of the person who has an anxious attachment is being alone or being abandoned. And people who have an anxious attachment find it very hard to communicate their needs and directly telling them like what it is they want. So when I had my sixth sense episode with my partner, uh, my ex-partner, I was like, hey, I noticed something was off because I noticed this. I use a lot of I statements. I use a lot of boundaries because when he went off on me, I was like, okay, I, I need to go because this is not where I need to be. I didn't like that. I have to go. So I was able to effectively communicate my needs and my wants. A lot of people can't do that. Um, and this is after years of therapy and years of me working on it, so I was able to do that. If this was back in when I was 20, oh no, I would have probably lost it. <laughs> I would have lost it. And one thing that anxious attachment folks believe, they believe that this is their one and only chance with love with whoever they are with. With me, with the story I told in the beginning, I was like, this my man, we together. I was planning, I was on Pinterest, pinning wedding things. I was trying to figure out what our kids look like. It was date one. In my mind, I was like, this my only chance of love. I got to make this work because if I don't make it work, I will never be in love again, which is very extreme thinking. But this is the, the belief that the anxious attachment person has. So moving on to the other side of the spectrum, we have the avoidant attachment person. And this is 25% of the population and they equate intimacy with a loss of independence and they constantly try to minimize closeness. So they can connect with a romantic partner but always maintain some mental distance and they always have an escape route. So in childhood, this looked like a distant, rigid, and unresponsive caregiver or people or loved ones and in adulthood we mirror that in adulthood they have a lot of deactivating strategies this is any behavior or thought that is used to decrease intimacy so some of these deactivating strategies can look like saying or thinking i'm not ready for a committed relationship pulling away when things are going well leaving things super foggy just to maintain some independence, focusing on the small imperfections. So allowing it to get in the way of romantic feelings. So when I dated, yeah, I'm about to get a whole, I'm about to be real transparent about my dating life. So I dated someone and they always nitpick at my imperfections. It could be the smallest thing. It could be, I don't like how you responded to me today. So therefore I need to go ahead and not talk to you for a week. Wait, what? You know, it was that extreme. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever you need when I should have been running for the hills. And they also try to avoid any physical co closeness. Their thought process is one, self-reliancy. They just try to focus on their own needs. And this closes off their ability to focus on their partner's needs and bring together that closeness. And the other thought pattern they have is, again, the glass is half empty. So when it comes to their partner, they focus on the negative attributes. People with this style rarely look internally, 
but blames external factors. So i.e. they blame their partners or anything else. And also people with this attachment style rarely gets help. If they don't see counseling, change is, is not likely because you need someone, a safe person or a professional to help you see like, hey, bro, this may be you. Like you may be the problem. For the avoidant attachment person, their need is self-reliancy. Their need is independence. Their need is autonomy. When they feel like they don't have that, that's when they push away. So they do a lot of push, pull, push, pull. They pull you in because they do want that closeness. But as soon as you get too close to their threshold, they're like, oh, I was just playing. I really don't want you no more. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm laughing because I'm like, Man, I've been in some relationships like that. Their communication is they keep things fuzzy. They have an attitude. Sometimes they're rude. They put down their partner and they send a lot of mixed signals. So one day they're like happy and joyful and they all lovey-dovey. And then the other day they're just like, yeah, I'm good. And again, I have experienced this and it's not fun at all. And their fear is they fear losing autonomy or independence. So with the secure... That's my St. Louis accent. Secure, secure, um, attached folks is 50% of the population. And these people feel comfortable with intimacy and are usually warm and loving. In childhood, they got the sensitive, available, and responsible caregiver or people that they love around them. In adulthood, they mirror this. So they expect to be treated with respect and dignity. Um, they understand that there are plenty of potential partners. They can't effectively communicate. They don't take blame for their partner's offensive behaviors. So something I would do would take blame for my partner's offensive behaviors. It was always my fault because that's what I was told. When someone's secure, they're like, nah, bro, it's you, not me. <laughs> and they're able to spot those red flags earlier and cut off the relationship and say like, this is not for me. And they're able to move on to someone else. Their communication style, they communicate effectively. And I'm not sure they have any fear. But like I said earlier, remember, we can go from secure to anxious or avoidant due to external factors like adult relationships. If you get into a really bad relationship, you can go from a secure attachment to either anxious or avoidant. So those are the attachment styles. So now we're going to get into how to effectively communicate if you are anxious or avoidant. So the first key to effectively communicating is one, to use I statements. I statements are statements that start with I. I need, I want, I want, I will like, I do not like. Those are statements that help you to communicate your needs and your wants. It's no blaming, right? Because you're saying I, I, I. Blaming would be you, you, you. When you use I statement, it puts it all back on you and doesn't blame the other person. The second thing is healthy boundaries. Episode one, we talked about letting down your walls and having offense and setting those healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries help to focus on your needs and it also helps you to be assertive so when i was getting activated i had to use healthy boundaries in order to kind of step away from everything so i also remember 
I have stories. I have a lot of stories, actually. <laughs> I remember that um, I was in an argument. It started off as a discussion and it started going towards an argument and I was getting flooded. I just remember just getting really angry. And I know when I start to get angry, I start popping off at the mouth. So I took a deep breath and I said, hey, I need to step away. This is getting to be too much. We can continue this conversation later. But right now, if I continue, I'm going to cuss you out. And that was just, that was real talk. And so we ended up stopping and coming back and we were able to talk with calmer heads because at the moment, again, he was about to get cussed out. So boundaries are, healthy boundaries are specific and they let the other person know that, hey, these are my needs and this is what I need in the moment or moving forward. The other person either is going to respect them or they're not. You can't control what they're going to do with your boundaries. All you can do is set them and then implement a consequence when they don't respect your boundaries. Number three is vulnerability. Vulnerability is a willing to show emotion and also your weaknesses. It's the risk of being hurt emotionally and Having vulnerability is really a superpower. I've heard people say like, I don't want to be vulnerable because I don't want to be seen as weak. That's a good thing. It shows that you have flaws. It shows that you are human. And it shows like, hey, I'm willing to put myself out there and I'm okay with that. That is a good thing. So be vulnerable in all relationships. And when you are vulnerable, it fosters a deep and closer connection with your partner. It breaks down all the walls and allow us to be our most authentic self. So when you're not vulnerable, who are you? <laughs> what type of person are you when you hold back your emotions, when you hold back those deep conversations that you want to have with someone and you keep everything surface level? Is that who you really are deep down inside? No. So if you are vulnerable, you show your true self to this other person and you open yourself up. Do you open yourself up to get hurt? Absolutely. But do you open yourself up to have a really deep, meaningful connection with someone? Absolutely. You got to ask yourself, do I want this connection with someone where I want to have deep love and emotional connection with someone? Or do I just want to say surface level with people? And I think that will help you to determine whether or not you need to be vulnerable. And you don't have to be in vulnerability. Again, a spectrum. You share what you want to share with people. And the more you share, the more you do open yourself to people. And again, that's a good thing. I could talk about that all day, but I'm not. We're going to move on to number four, which is changing your thought patterns. Now, I know this doesn't have a lot to do with communication, but it actually does. So in cognitive behavioral therapy, there's this thing called the cognitive triangle. And it's your thoughts can um, influence your feelings. Your feelings then influence your actions. If I have negative thinking, more than likely, I'm going to have unpleasant feelings and then I'm going to probably do something that's probably a negative behavior. So for the anxious person that is believing that this is the only person for me and I have to do everything in my power to keep this person because don't nobody else want me but this person. And it's like, whoa, that's negative. So your thoughts, your feelings probably going to be anxiousness. Feelings can be of sadness. It can be a lot of different things there. So then your behaviors are those protesting behaviors because if that person is not responding to a text or something like that, then you start doing those protesting behaviors. On the flip side, for the avoidant, 
If you're only thinking like this person is trapping me, I'm about to lose my independence. I can't be in this relationship, which is also very negative. You have these feelings of trapped, anxious, whatever. Then you do those deactivating strategies of pulling away and being rude or putting down your partner because you feel like you're getting too close. So change the thought pattern. It seems like on both sides of the anxious and the avoiding person, they can create these negative stories and these stories are best-selling novels in their head and they are probably (laughs) the most negative stories ever. And these stories are driving your behavior and your feelings. So let's change the story. If you are the writer, the producer, the casting director and all the things, if you have the power to make a story negative, you also have the power to make that story positive with a positive outcome. So instead of thinking like, oh my God, I'm trapped. You know, think of the gratitude that you have with this person. Think of the good things that this person does. Start a gratitude journal. Oh, this person does X, Y, Z, and this person's great. Instead of focusing on those negative behaviors or negative events and putting those events and behaviors in your back pocket. So when something does happen, you're like, oh, this is what happened. Almost like a flag on the play. Like the referee, they just pull that flag out their back pocket and throw it. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, And for the anxious person, it's just being more positive, period, and not thinking like this is the end all be all like I have to make this work now it's plenty of fish in the sea plenty 7 billion people on the planet let's just say half those people are of of the male species um, of that half they're uh, of the adult age and you can actually date them plenty <laughs> plenty of people out there that you can match with other than the man that you match with on Bumble or Tinder or or the person you met at the bar or the club, okay? Those are the four ways you can enhance your communication with your attachment style. Thank you for joining. Um, Go ahead, like, subscribe, share this with family and friends, and let everybody know about this pod. Um, We drop a new episode every Monday, and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Go ahead and share this episode with your family and friends. Don't forget to take the quiz on my website to figure out which Beyonce song matches your toxic trait. Go ahead and check it out at the-revolution.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-B-E-L-U-T-I-O-N.com. Thanks and see you next time.